So it is a pleasure to feel now after a few days of this retreat how the energies of the group that's been here for more than a month and of the group that's entered more newly are beginning to converge in the stillness. And there's this storms and rain that comes outside and then walking in the hall there is a sense of sanctuary that's quite lovely. This evening, continuing to open up the teachings of the Dharma for those who've been sitting a longer period and those just come, I'd like to speak about the central principle of mindfulness. Beginning as a way to tie in from Howie's talk last night, in the Buddhist text, in the Sanyutta Nikaya, which groups texts according to themes, there's a series of stories of Mara coming to visit the Buddha. Even after the Buddha's enlightenment, Mara would come and visit the Buddha, however one understands this. So on one occasion, when the Blessed One had walked back and forth, contemplating for much of the night in meditation, he then washed his feet and lay down in the lion's posture on his right side to take a short rest in a deliberate, mindful, considerate way. And then Mara, the evil one, appeared and said, What is this? The awakened one is sleeping? Why do you sleep? What a worthless thing to sleep your life away. Could you really be awakened? Dreaming this house is empty, you sleep. What the sun has already risen, you will still be sleeping. I'm sure you know this voice. And the blessed one responded, When the nets and snares of craving and entanglement are released, nothing can seduce. When all of the senses that arise are known for what they are, there is wakefulness in any posture. And with such a one as this, Mara, what have you to do? And then Mara shook his head sadly and said, the blessed one knows me, he has seen me, and slinked away. Story number two of a similar genre. And it happened that the Blessed One was staying in Rajgir at Madakuchi near the deer preserve. And at that time, he had badly injured his foot. And there was a great splinter that had entered in it, which became infected. And sorely did the Blessed One feel it. Grievous the pains throughout his body he suffered, keen, acute, distressing. And yet he bore them wakefully, deliberately, mindfully. And in such a situation, the Blessed One lay down to take rest for his body's sake. And Mara, the evil one, again appeared and said, What? The Blessed One lying down, mentally dull, vacuous, overcome by disease? Surely there are many affairs the Blessed One should be tending to. 
I'm sure you've heard this voice of Mara. He's coming here. Surely there are many things you should be attending to. Biding aloof, withdrawn from the world, are you frightened of the world? Why sleep in this way if you are awakened? And the Blessed One responded, Here I lie, neither mentally dull nor vacuous, nor brooding on the future, nor caught by the past. My aim is one. I rest in that which is timeless, here awake in the present, my heart filled with love for all things. Yes, there is suffering in this human body. Many men have suffered and women. Why should I not too share that physical suffering? But neither night nor day neither sense experiences nor their absent can bring regret or fear into the heart of one such awakened. And thus I sleep and rest filled with love for all things. So here is the Buddha, sleepy after a night of walking or in pain his own body, and yet he is also in nirvana. This is after his awakening. There's an invitation at the beginning of the great text on the path of mindfulness that says, my friends, there is a most wonderful way to help living beings realize purification, overcome directly grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the path of wakefulness and compassion, and realize liberation. And this is the four establishments of mindfulness. And what are these, my friends? A practitioner remains established in awareness of the body in the body, diligent with clear understanding, mindful, having abandoned abandoned both grasping and aversion. The practitioner remains established in awareness of the feelings in the feelings, diligent, with clear understanding, mindful, having abandoned both grasping and aversion for all experience. The practitioner remains established in awareness of mind in the mind and of the dharma, the laws of mind and body as they arise, having abandoned both grasping and aversion. So this is the invitation from the Buddha to you, to your own Buddha nature, to remind you of what is possible. And it's this teaching of wakefulness or awareness that brings all Buddhas and all beings to liberation. Because it is the seeing what is true that brings freedom. When we actually see and know this world as it is, we are free. This is called the gateway to awakening or the gateway to the deathless. 
Why is that? In a moment that we stop and pay attention to just what is here without judgment, without wanting, without resistance, without elaboration, in that moment, in this moment, we can see the world as it is. We can be in the world as it is without trying to change it or possess it or fix it. And in that moment, we enter the space of full acceptance, of ease of heart, of freedom. This quality of mindfulness has a balance to it, a sense of listening. Listening not with the ear alone, but listening with the heart, the mind and the body together, a presence. It doesn't try to change anything. Robert Frost wrote this poem. He said, anything more than the truth would be too much. So to be mindful is to be with things just as they are. Ajahn Chah called it, his phrase was, as it is, to sit with things as it is. And in the interviews that we do, people come in with a very great range of experiences, happy and sad, pained in the body, filled with rapture, memories, plans, expectations, stories, experiences. We sit and listen to you. And then our main question is, can you be mindful of that too? We're not listening for any particular experience because whatever experience it is, changes. But can you be mindful of that too? Even the littlest things, not to push them away or grasp, can we just be here? A poem written in calligraphy by Lloyd Reynolds, who's one of the great Western calligraphy masters. A bug crawls over the paper. Leave him be. We need all the readers we can get. You sit, experience comes, leave it be. Whatever the experience is, let it be exactly as it is. This from Emerson. The rose under my window makes no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are what they are. They exist with what is sacred today. There is no time to them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. To be mindful is, in a way, to be open to what is now, and now, and now. 
I got this card my last birthday. It's a drugstore card from the kind of cartoon variety. And it says on the top, the Dalai Lama's birthday party. And there's a picture of the Dalai Lama in his sunglasses with these smiling monks around. And he has a great big box in his hands, which is empty, if you look at it, or doesn't seem to have much in it anyway. And a huge grin on his face. He's taken the ribbon off. And he says, wow, nothing, just what I always wanted. (laughs) T.S. Eliot calls it the still point of the turning world, the place where we sit in the midst of all things and allow them to be as they are and find that possibility of being at peace. Now all this is not meant to be a philosophy or even a goal, but rather an invitation, an instruction. How do we actually do it? First foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. The Buddha goes on. How does a practitioner remain established in awareness of the body in the body. One goes to the forest, to the foot of a tree, to a quiet room and sits down, holding one's body erect, establishing awareness within oneself, breathing in, aware of the in-breath, breathing out, aware of the out-breath, breathing a short or a long breath, knowing this is a short, or a long breath. Moreover, the practitioner is aware when they are standing, when they begin walking, when they sit down, when they lie down. Moreover, in going forward or backward, there is full attention to forward or backward, to bending or standing up or carrying things or moving one's arm or eating or chewing, or going to the bathroom. In this way, one shines the light of awareness on all of the experiences and movements of the body within the body. We've started again, for those who've been sitting a time, or for those anew who've come anew, with the breath, as this universal subject of mindfulness is a way to bring the body and heart and mind together. You remember the line from James Joyce where he wrote, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. So what we're doing here is bringing these scattered energies of our life together by sensing the breath. And it's so simple. There's no right breath. It shouldn't be long or deep or slow or fast. It is simply letting the breath breathe itself. Now this is a deep breath. Now this is a shallow breath. And it is the space of knowing, of mindfulness, that is aware of the breathing that becomes the gateway again to liberation. 
when we practiced in Burma, our teachers at times would say, tell me something new about the breath. Every interview on three months or six months or a year retreat, tell me something else about the breath. But I've already told you a hundred things about the breath. Fine, tomorrow tell me something new about the breath. That kind of attention. Is it shallow? Does the breath get cooler when it goes in or when it comes out? Is there a bigger space between the in-breath and the out-breath? Or after the out-breath, before the next in-breath? Is there swirling or tingling? Does the breath change at the beginning of the sitting and then become different in the middle and at the end? In the rising and falling of the breath, do you feel it in the diaphragm as it goes up and down? Or do you feel it in the belly? Is there temperature to it? Is it even or uneven? Not so much because we want to know more and more scientific kind of understanding about the breath, but because this kind of intimacy or sensitivity with the breath is the gateway to then noticing all the other experiences that arise in a deep and present way. And it's so simple. Even 10 minutes of breathing can change our life. There we are, we've come to sit in meditation after having a bad encounter in the kitchen, you know, or having something happen in yoga that, you know, disturbed us, or seeing someone and have a whole memory come up from the past of unfinished things and what they did in all those stories, and you know how the mind just proliferates. And we sit down and feel the breath. And after about 10 minutes or five minutes or however long it is, the knots start to untie. And he did and she did and I did and this would and that should. All those things tell themselves And then there's another breath and another. And pretty soon it's the breath and the thoughts become more like clouds and they come and go. And we are where we are without being lost in them. So simple. In the same way as we feel the breath, all the different aspects of the physical body begin to show themselves. They don't just begin to show themselves, they are a deep part of the practice. If you sit a long retreat like this, or if you sit over the years many retreats, you will find a natural opening of the body. And it's not an opening where it gets open and then you live happily ever after. The body breathes. But in the space of mindfulness and stillness of a retreat, energy gets released, heat, tension, hot, cold, fire, tingling, throbbing. And the idea isn't to get rid of it. The idea as we breathe and then the energy comes is to bow to it and name it gently, whatever it is, and let that energy get as big as it wishes, 
Let it fill your whole being. Let it fill the whole meditation center. Oh, the world is on fire. Fire, fire, burning, burning. Oh, I hate this. Hating, hating. That's okay. Breathing in, breathing out. Fire, fire. And let it do what it does. And then the fire diminishes. Oh, I did pretty well. Pride, pride. Really doing all right. Then that passes. Then you breathe. And then another wave. Oh, now it's cool. Coolness, coolness. Wonder if I should wrap myself up or get it to go away. No, I like it. None of that. I mean, you let that happen. There's some thoughts. Just coolness. Coolness. There are deep physical releases that happen to some people in meditation or at certain times, partly because the body carries various tensions and partly because the body reflects the mind and the heart. Alice Miller says, the truth of our childhood is stored up in our body and although we can repress it, we can never alter it. Our intellect can be deceived, our feelings manipulated, our conceptions confused, our body tricked with medication. But someday our body will present its bill, for it is as incorruptible as a child who is still whole in spirit, who will accept no compromises or excuses and will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. So we sit and there's an untying of knots, a releasing, an opening. And it doesn't happen just in a good, pleasant way. Sometimes it's more painful. Or sometimes it gets painful and you're with it and then it gets pleasant, then it gets painful again in waves. And what we're asked to do is bring a kind of innocence to this body, a freshness, was the word I think Eugene or Marie used. To just be with what is without thinking it should be a certain way. Can we be with our body just as it is? Without trying to make it any different and trust it. Let it be as it is with mindfulness. The story from Frank Ostaseski, who runs the Zen Center Hospice. The day before his death, John was in a waking coma. His face was full of tension, his head thrust far back, the muscles in his throat were tight and constricted, every breath a struggle. Clearly, this was some stage of dying. A famous teacher with experience in these things told me his spirit was trying to leave his body and I should touch the top of his head to show the way. A physician told me to increase the morphine to relax his breathing. A body worker told me to hold pressure points on his feet to relieve the tension. I tried them all, but instinctively I just wanted to wrap myself around him. I climbed into bed cradling John in the curve of my arms. I remember rocking him back and forth, and as I did, I began to sing sweet lullabies to him, not nursery rhymes, but the love sounds 
a parent sings to a sick or frightened child. And as I sang, I kissed his forehead and my hands found what to do, though I had no goal in mind. My fingers gently caressed his throat, stroked his face. My open hand circled his heart. We lost all sense of time. I could feel him sink into me, my body cushioning what was left of his bony form. Eventually, his throat began to relax. His head came forward, his eyes opened. They looked relieved. After, I wondered if I had done the right thing. Maybe I should have followed the teacher's advice had I pulled him back from some near-death state, stopped some process of release. I don't know, really. We can't know. But I do know that the heart has to be soft before any of us can be free. To be mindful of the body is to bring a tenderness and an appreciation, not to fix it or make it different, but to allow it in the space of sacred mindfulness. This breath, these sensations, this pain, these pleasant experiences, and discover that we can be with it all as the Buddha did lying there, the Blessed One, when Mara came to him. From Mary Oliver. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your life depends upon it. And when the time comes, to let it go, to let it go. And what letting go means really is letting it be. It's a better translation. To let it be as it is, this moment and this. And thus one finds freedom in the body. Mindfulness of feelings, the second foundation of mindfulness. The Buddha goes on. He says, And now the practitioner becomes established in awareness of feelings in the feelings. When the practitioner has a pleasant feeling, they recognize this is a pleasant feeling. When they have a painful feeling, They recognize this is a painful feeling. When there is a neutral feeling, they recognize this is a neutral feeling. Feelings are so central because when pleasant comes, our habit is to grasp, I want more. And unpleasant comes, unconsciously we resist, I wish this would go away. No matter where you are in your retreat, you can see this. And when neutral comes, we ignore it and fall asleep. The feelings are always here. Sometimes they're big, we weep, we grieve. Sometimes 
they become very soft and subtle. Wallace Stevens writes, I don't ask for the full ringing of the bell. I don't ask for a clap of thunder that would rent the veil in the temple. A scrawny cry will do from far off among the willows and cattails, from far off there among the galaxies. And when we begin to be truly mindful of feelings, we see they come and go like clouds or like the weather. There are common themes, the top ten tunes, anxiety or jealousy or longing or creative energy or hope or fear that arise. But there's so many more. I have a list of 500 emotions, joyful and sorrowful and sad and sanguine and sublime and silly and sexual and strung out and stubborn and confused and clear and calm and centered and crabby and concerned and conceited, conciliatory and delighted and depressed and disgusted and on and on. Appreciative, apoplectic, argumentative. It's amazing the richness of feeling life. What do we need to do with them? Nothing. Just to be mindful. There's this feeling. To sense the feeling in the feeling is to allow the feeling to arise and experience it as it is. Now we live in a culture that's been out of touch with feeling a lot. So just as there's a need to reclaim the body and allow its energies to be held in mindfulness as it is, there's a reclaiming of feeling. Notice when it arises, the movement, the texture, the length of duration that it comes and when it passes away. See if you can allow yourself to feel the feelings as they arise, as they exist, and feel them when they disappear. Someone wrote me a note from the retreat at IMS, a long retreat, and they were having a lot of trouble with walking meditation. So I suggested various things and none of them worked. And finally I said, fine, if you want to learn to walk, then stop sitting and just walk. They were sort of resistant. But finally they undertook it and then left this note. Dear Jack, long walking meditation assignment, half day completed, thank you. Now I understand I can do walking meditation after all. At first I thought I might find out what all the resistance was about, but I learned more than that. I chose to walk in the new walking room because it's small and beautiful and usually quiet. Today this wasn't so. It was noisy as hell. There was some guy in there stomping back and forth with noisy boots. Well, thought I, at least he'll be gone after the first 45-minute walking period. No such luck. This madman paced and pounded his way through an hour and a half of, quote, walking, except for the moments he stopped to drink in the middle of the room or remove a noisy layer of clothing. 
At first, I tried metta. He must have a lot of pain to be so driven. Then I realized I simply wanted to kill the SOB. I stood there noting, hating, hating. Later, I stopped just to stand there and weep. But he kept on, and so did I. And pretty soon, I took my steps, and he became the background of movement and sound as I walked back and forth. And finally, after an hour and a half, he left. It became very quiet as I walked, which was different than before, but not so much better as I expected, just different. Now I realize I can learn to walk anywhere. So we sit and we walk and feelings come and go. It's their nature. And when we're mindful, one of three things will happen to them. They will go away, they will stay the same for a while, or they will get worse. And that's not our job. Our task is simply to be open and know what arises, like the Buddha saw, oh, I see you, Mara, just to know what feeling it is, sadness and centeredness or struggle or stubbornness or silliness or sanguine, whatever the feeling is. Ah, you've come. Exists for a time and passes away. And those of you who've been sitting and gotten yourself to a place where it's very peaceful and there aren't big storms of emotions right now or great storms in your body. First of all, a little aside, they'll come back. But in those peaceful times in meditation, which are also wonderful, then what you want to do is note the subtle feelings. There's the breath, sensations in the body, tingling of sounds arising and passing. And there's also calm. You can note that, oh, calm, calm. Or peaceful, which is a different feeling than calm. Peaceful, peaceful. Let it open, feel how big it wants to get. Or maybe the feeling of spacious comes, spacious, spacious. And then there comes, oh, I like this. A very subtle, enjoying, enjoying. None of those are wrong feelings. It's simply that this same quality of mindfulness can feel the subtle arisings of those states in the spacious mind as it does the more struggling ones that may happen at the beginning. If you can open yourself to the Tao, you are at one with the Tao and you can embody it completely. If you are open to loss, you are at one with loss and you can accept it completely. If you open yourself to insight, you are at one with insight and you can use it completely. Open yourself to the Tao and trust your natural responses, and everything will fall into place.
So we're here really studying this body and mind. You learn about feelings on a retreat and it's a very wonderful thing to learn about because without knowing it, we are thrown around and caught by everyone. And when we know them for what they are, there comes freedom. Then one becomes aware of the mind. Again, the text goes on. How does a practitioner remain established in awareness of the mind in the mind? Practitioner becomes aware when the mind is filled with desire and when the mind is content without desire, when the mind is filled with anger or when the mind is filled with love. When the mind is tense, one is aware this is a tense mind. When the mind is distracted, this is the distracted mind. When the mind is relaxed or open or has wideness of vastness to it, one is aware this is the relaxed or the open or the vast mind. We begin to really notice the play of the mind itself. And what's wonderful is to see that the mind really has no pride. It will do anything. This is from Arthur Miller. He writes, look, and this is certainly a a masculine quote, but I think even the feminine in the room will appreciate it. Look, we're really all the same. A man is a 14-room house. In the bedroom, he's asleep with his beautiful and intelligent wife. In the living room, he's rolling around with some bare-ass girl. In the library, he's paying his taxes. In the yard, he's raising tomatoes. And in the cellar, he's making a bomb to blow it all up. (laughs) There's a certain way in which it reflects the nature of the mind. Carlos Castaneda speaks of it this way. He says, you talk to yourself too much. You're not unique in that. Every one of us does. We maintain our world with our inner dialogue. A man or woman of knowledge is aware that the world will change completely as soon as they stop talking to themselves. Someone asked Ajahn Buddhadasa what he thought about the state of the modern world or how the modern world looked to him from his forest monastery. And he described the modern world in three words. Lost in thought. The mind is, the thinking mind, is a thought factory. It produces thoughts, it secretes thoughts, day and night, like the salivary glands secrete saliva, or like a pasta factory, thoughts just pour out of it in different shapes, but it's all the same substance, which is thought. And then it believes the stories that it makes up. A friend of mine, Jack Engler, who's a psychologist at Harvard, went around testing meditation teachers to try to understand what they'd learned, various teachers in India and America. And one of the things he gave them was this psychological test, the TAT, the thematic apperception test, in which there are these kind of ambiguous pictures. So one of the pictures 
shows a woman, a man sitting at a table, and a woman in the doorway looks like she's just turning away in some way in this room, and you can't really tell what's happened. And he'll show the picture and say, make a story. And so some people say, oh, she just left and it's tragic and this happened and they're, you know, something happened to their child or no, she's really angry and because he said this or that or oh, no, no, you know, he loves her and she was reminded of something very beautiful and she turned away to remember the first kiss they had and it's the same picture and the mind paints 10,000 different stories about it. So here we sit and we begin to see the mind as it is. I mean, you're just sitting quietly minding your own business, right? Being aware of your breath or taking a walk. And when you become aware of the mind in the mind, you begin to see this production of story. And we believe them. Even though the story tomorrow might be very different than the story today. Have you noticed that? They change. So what does it mean to be mindful? It means, first of all, to make the space within which thoughts can rise and pass without trying to make them any different. Just the way feelings don't have to be any different than they are, and your body doesn't have to be different, your mind doesn't have to be different. It is simply displaying to you the nature of mind, the thought mind. It's showing you that. And so you can be aware of it. But because it's somewhat seductive, you may need at times like Ulysses. Remember when Ulysses was going past the sirens, he had all the sailors on his boat fill their ears with cotton or something so they couldn't hear the sirens. But he really wanted to hear the sirens, so he had them tie him to the mast. And there he was, hearing the siren call, but tied to the mast. I think in some way the breath is our mast as we go through the seas of thoughts and sometimes surfs up and they're really big waves of thoughts. And you come back to your breath And in a moment you could say, oh, wow, I was really lost in that one. You don't need to judge it. You can just notice that. Or that was a fantastic one. Or, oh, I hated that one. It's really the movies. And you see it for what it is. And then, oh, breath comes in, breath goes out, rising and falling. A lot of the thoughts, you'll begin to notice certain patterns. There's a particular star that seems to reappear as one of the main actors in all these thoughts. You know who that is, as Miss Piggy would say, moi, right? (laughs) And they center around gaining and permanence and hoping and fearing. They have a certain strategy because they're based on the small sense of self. Thoughts are wonderful servants, but poor masters. So with the power of mindfulness, we begin to know the thoughts for what they are, just as they are in themselves. From Ajahn Sumedho, the mind 
is like space. There's room in it for everything or nothing. We always have a perspective once we know the space of the mind, its emptiness. Armies can come into the mind and leave, butterflies, rain clouds, tragedy and comedy, or nothing at all. All things can come and go through us without being caught in reaction or resistance. This is the practice of freedom. So mindfulness is the gateway to freedom in the body, gateway to the freedom in the emotions, gateway to freedom in the mind, to know what is so, to bow to it, this too, just what it is. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the Dharma, of the laws that govern this life. And the Buddha goes on again. How does a practitioner become established in awareness of the Dharma, the Dharmas in the Dharma? And one becomes aware of the states that arise, of how long they arise, and when they pass away one becomes aware of the process of mind itself, of the coming to be and the process of dissolution. One becomes aware of freedom in the mind and of contraction or suffering in the mind. One becomes aware of grasping in the mind and one becomes aware of letting go in the mind. And one becomes aware when the mind is perfectly at peace. One becomes aware this is suffering. One becomes aware this is the grasping that causes suffering. One becomes aware this is the end of suffering. One becomes aware this is the path to the release from suffering. It's a funny thing to be born into a human body and mind. I mean, they're really strange and very mysterious. And on retreat, instead of just kind of living in it and running around as we do in our days and driving it like a car without thinking about where it came from or what it really is, we get to make the space to actually see this life. Say, what is this human existence? It's so mysterious. Here's the body. Here's the feelings. Here are the thoughts and images and stories. And then how does it operate? This is the Dharma, the laws. And what we begin to notice as we become mindful is two different things. First, what there is in experience. There's a feeling, a painful feeling. There's a thought about the future, a plan. There's a thought about the past, a memory. There's a sensation in the body or sound at the ear. We get to notice the content of experience, which is sights and sounds and smells and tastes and thoughts and feelings. 
The second thing we can notice is what happens to it. So as you're breathing, sitting here, whether it's for a long or short time, whether you've just come or you've been here for a time over weeks, you're breathing and there arises excitement or there arises fear or there arises sound at the ear. The idea isn't just to note it, oh, hearing, hearing, and then go back to your breath and say, well, that was sound. But actually to note hearing, hearing, and feel the sensation as it plays on the ears. Hearing, hearing, hearing. It arises, it's there, and then it passes away. And as it passes, be with the space for a moment that holds all things. And then be aware of the next breath. And then maybe some sensation comes after a few breaths. And instead of just noting, oh, there's that pain again, pain, pain, give it space to do its dance. Pain, pain, maybe it gets bigger, let it intensify. Maybe it moves, let it do whatever it wants. Pain, oh, now it's not pain, now it's throbbing. The pain's gone and now it's throbbing, 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 throbbing. Oh, I can't stand this, oh. Now it's not throbbing, it's aversion. Oh, aversion, aversion, one feels that. Aversion, aversion, and then that passes away after a bit. And one's back to the breath. And in a little while, one begins to see that things arise, they appear within the space of awareness, and they vanish without leaving a trace. This from the Buddha. When the body and mind arise and pass away, they do not exist anywhere before or after, any more than musical notes lay heaped up anywhere. When a lute is played, there is no previous store of sound, and when the music ceases, it does not go anywhere in space. It came into existence for a moment on account of the structure and form of the lute and the plucking of the strings by the performer. And as it came into existence, so it passed away. In exactly the same way, all of the elements of being arise, come into existence after having been non-existent according to causes, and then they pass away. So this is part of the Dharma that we can see, experience directly. Senses, mind, feelings, thoughts arise in space, exist for a time, and then we can notice they pass away. We can also notice their patterns, like the top ten tunes. These patterns, if you will, are karma. A bear paced up and down the 20-foot length of his cage when, after 10 years, the cage was removed. The bear continued to pace up and down those 20 feet as if the cage were still there. Things don't happen at random, but one gives birth to another. There are causes and conditions one moment disappears, but creates the conditions for the next moment. See if this is so. 
in your own experience. But as we notice the patterns of habit, the patterns of conditioning, we also can notice that there is a claiming of them as self. I'm a worthy or an unworthy person. I'm good or I'm bad. I'm beautiful or I'm not beautiful. I'm sad or I'm angry. I'm going to do this. I was that. All this structure that we call the small sense of self. I, me, mine, moi, that sense of self. You'll see that, that identity with these experiences. And yet as we pay attention with mindfulness, the gateway to liberation, it becomes less and less our own. From Nisargadat, it is the stream of desire that gives birth to this self, that gives us name and form, or that claims name and form. What we desire is imagined and wanted and manifests itself as something that we can conceive and grasp. And thus we create the world in which we live, our small personal world. The real world is beyond the ordinary mind's knowing. We only see it through the net of our desires, divided into pleasure and pain, right and wrong, inner and outer. To see the universe as it is, you must step beyond this net of desires. And yet it is not hard to do so, because the net is full of holes. So in a moment we'll be caught up, I'm going to lunch, I want to get first in line, or you know, all these people are ahead, or it's raining and I didn't get my umbrella, or whatever it happens, some little thing, or that sitting was whatever opinion we have about it, that was a better sitting than the other one, it wasn't. We get into our story, and then there's a moment where we say, oh, that's thinking. And in that moment, it's as if we rest in awareness and thought is seen for what it is. And we could note, oh, thinking, thinking, and passes away in its time, and there we are. And you know where we are here, now in the eternal present. We begin to sense and trust the possibility that we don't have to grasp or own or claim anything, that that's not the truth of the way things are, says the Buddha. Suppose a man or woman who was not blind beheld the many bubbles on the Ganges as they floated along and watched and carefully examined them and after carefully examine them, they would appear empty, unreal, insubstantial. In exactly the same way does the practitioner behold the phenomena of body, feelings, mind, and all the formations of consciousness, near and far. And by examining them mindfully, after careful attention, discovers that they are empty, void, insubstantial, and without a self. When somebody asks the question, what do you do? 
probably the best answer would be a question back. When? Because we have ideas of who we are, but who we are is just for a moment. There was a cartoon in the San Francisco Chronicle that showed some nomads on camels, the father on the first camel with all his baggage, the mother on the second camel, and then three children on their little camels with bags behind. And the fathers turned around talking to the last child in the row, and the little bubble above him says, Stop asking when we're going to get there. We're nomads for crying out loud. (laughs) We're not going anywhere on this retreat except to be where we are. And where we are is the changing Sights and sounds and smells and tastes, feelings and thoughts. Have you noticed that? And through the gateway of mindfulness, take your time, slow down, be present. You begin, we begin to see like the bubbles on the Ganges, the flash of lightning in the summer cloud, the echo, the rainbow, that they exist according to conditions, and pass away. And that liberation is not in trying to change this world, but knowing it for what it is, and letting the heart rest and be free in the midst of it. It is learning a deeper and deeper trust. And when we release our clinging, when the body of fear, the small sense of self, is seen for what it is, and it comes and dances, but when we rest in the space of mindfulness, then there comes ease and freedom and a beautiful compassion because the heart isn't frightened anymore. And so if a child falls down, of course we pick them up. And if someone's hungry, of course we feed them. The compassion is there in your true nature, in your heart, as sure as you are alive. The Buddha ends this text on mindfulness by saying, my friends, For one who practices the establishment of mindfulness for seven years, six, five, four, three, two, even one year, even one month, for even seven days, for one week, let alone one month, one week, if you practice mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness, enter the gate of mindfulness for only seven days, you can expect liberation, the highest freedom and understanding in this very life. And the monks, of course, and nuns who heard this text were delighted to hear the teachings and took it to heart. I remember Ajahn Chah saying that to us in the monastery. And I got so excited. I was a young monk. 
I said, is that really still true? He said, absolutely. Seven days of mindfulness and you will be enlightened. I thought, great, you know, this is, this is terrific. I'm really going to do it. Went back to my hut, established my seat, sat down, became aware of my breath for a number of breaths, felt my body, noticed the feelings and thoughts come. Then a little while later, realized, oh, I'd been thinking about the conversation with Ajahn Chah and telling us we were going to be enlightened. Oh, remembering, remembering. All right, seven days starts now. And started all over again. More breaths, doing better now. Six, ten breaths, feeling the sensations. Oh, this is good. I like this. Being aware, this is good. Pleasure. Getting pretty good at this. Yes, yes. Then about... Two minutes later, I woke up from a little dream I was having, a story. I was planning all the wonderful things I would do once I was now enlightened. (laughs) Going back, showing off how enlightened I was, right? Okay, seven days starts now, right? In any moment, we can be free. Freedom isn't someplace at the end of the retreat or the end of a long sitting or the end of a day. In any and every moment, when we are with things as they are, without grasping or resisting, allowing the world to be as it is, that is the invitation to freedom. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.